Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Ernest Shaw, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to speak to you. Love your work, your portraits, murals, uh, your work. Uh, it really focuses on people and, and telling stories through these images. Can we start off talking about how on earth does one do that with, with a, a picture, an image, tell a story? How does one tell a story with a picture? Well, I, I've been drawing and painting since I was about two years old drawing since I was two, painting maybe since about four or five. Uh, My mother painted, so I literally sat at her feet and would watch her paint. Uh, As far as um, storytelling through picture making and image making, uh, I would have to say my my very early 20s, I took a course at Morgan State University called African Americans in Art. And what that did was it helped me understand that the skills that I had developed going to Baltimore School for the Arts, uh, where you literally in high school, you get a fine arts training. It's it's a lot like LaGuardia, LaGuardia in New York. And and I think there's a fine arts high school in, in North Carolina. All over the country, there are certain specific fine arts high schools. So you get technical training. But it wasn't until I took this course, uh, African-Americans Art, in art under Angela Franklin at Morgan State University that I began to understand that skill is just one part of image making and art making. It helps, even if you're doing art for art's sake, there's still, that's still a statement to be made. Whether political or you feel it's political, non-political, every image that's made has some type of narrative or story or, um, meaning some type of iconography attached to it. Um, and it's been that way, I would say, throughout the history of um, uh, image making, which is exactly the history the history of humankind for thousands of years. You know, so the, the whole the whole saying of pictures with a thousand words, um, I know that sounds cliche. That's but true. That's it's all true. cliches are kind of. <laughs> you- That's right. Oh my gosh, you were at your mother's feet watching her paint, learning. Was she um was she like your first teacher crit- critic? <laughs> was she ever like this is terrible? She, no, she she was my first critic. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh she didn't teach me uh you know, like lessons. Mm-hmm. But I I learned from watching and she was aware that I was watching, you know. Um but she's always been my toughest critic as well. I, I I could tell you there was a piece I created in 2001. It's about 21 years ago. Um, the first time I tried a drip technique, you may see the drip technique in some of my work. And it was very experimental. And that's the first piece she didn't like. I, I remember that she, she was, um, she wasn't too confident about. <laughs> and that, the funny thing is, it did not hurt my feelings. I was just going to ask, like, I would be in a fetal position, but you no, knew where it was coming from. Like, I, It was actually, because critique is not bad. Mm-hmm, it's true. You know, it was actually, um, 
when I knew I was on to something, you know? So it was, it was awakening, you know, it wasn't good or bad. Um, I, like I, I, I sincerely understood where she was coming from, you know, and I knew it was, you know. Now, now just even glancing at your website, eshawart.com, Ernest Shaw Jr. Mm-hmm. I, the first image that popped up when I looked at this the other day was crossing gods. This, I mean, it's just a knockout. It, it, it's a realistic portrait of two young men in are, are they holding squeegees or am I misreading the whole thing? Oh, you read that perfectly. Okay, okay. Because I lived in, I, I, I just didn't know what era. But anyway, sorry. I just wanted to make sure because I was like, tell me, please tell me the origin story, why this was important, why, why you made this one. Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked because that's, that's um, the squeegee kids or squeegee boys or squeegee young people is quite a um, controversial topic in Baltimore right now. But that piece specifically, I believe it was fall 2019 when I created it, um, if I'm not mistaken. May have been 2020. May have been fall 2020. Looks like 2020, but I believe you. It's okay. okay. No, it was fall 2020. So HBO Max was doing a film, producing a film on what are called the 12 o'clock boys in Baltimore. And those are the young men. You can find them in almost any major city. Those are the young men and women who ride dirt bikes throughout the city, in some cases illegally. But they have carved and created a space for themselves. And uh, in mass, it's sometimes you could find over 30 or 40 of them at, time, at, at any given time riding these off-road dirt bikes throughout, throughout the city. And uh, there was a documentary made in 2012 called uh, 12 O'Clock Boys. But the movie HBO Max was making was called um, Charm City Kings. And they commissioned me to create a piece in the spirit of that film that they were going to auction off to uh, for charity. Uh, one of the lead characters, Meek Mill, in the film, uh, had a charity uh, which benefited folks who are incarcerated, you know, with with legal representation, things of that nature. So I did not want to actually paint someone riding a dirt bike, but I wanted to capture the energy and the spirit so I actually, uh, there were some young men that worked on the corner right outside my studio. So I actually paid them to do a photo shoot um, one day, developed a rapport with them and uh, compensated them <laughs> uh, pretty well. Uh, but yeah, that's how that piece came to be. And it worked out perfectly. It was auctioned off, as I come to understand it, to an actress who will remain nameless. But it went to a good cause. And that's the genesis of that specific piece. But now I'm doing a series called Crossing Gods of the the squeegee individuals. Um, And long story short, for me, that squeegee represents, I, I look at that squeegee the same way I would look at a crook or flail which are the two things that King Tut holds on his sarcophagus, or that I would look at like a king's or a queen's scepter. Like when they hold that, well, that, that is a symbol, not just of their status, but also of their humanity and their responsibility. So I titled the painting in a series Crossing Guards because they actually work at the intersection um, in urban areas 
And then normally those are busy intersections. So the fact that there, there is a cross and in many indigenous um, societies, there is a deity that sits at the crossroads, you know, and that deity governs decision-making. That deity governs, um, uh, you know, basically how we um, choose to navigate life in some way or shape or form. So I wanted to paint them. I wanted to honor them. And I wanted to use that squeegee sort of as, because I see it as their last bastion of humanity within a system that um, has mechanisms to strip them of their humanity. So, because if you take that squeegee away, they basically become beggars. Because we know the, the occupation of squeegeeing is antiquated. Or maybe not, maybe, I, I, let me say outdated in that we have cars with windshield wipers and, and, and windshield wiper fluid. Uh, and I came to that conclusion when I saw them squeegeeing in the rain one day. But again, it's not about the service. That holding that that item in their hand literally allows them to maintain what what um maintain some semblance of humanity that's how i i see it so i wish to paint them in a way where the viewer it touches the viewer's humanity from seeing the humanity of of the subject i mean it's just it 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 just struck me it's such a dignified pose of the two young men kind of shoulder to shoulder Mm -hmm. and then when i saw the squeegees it just reminded me that there's so many things that go on in, in, in our communities that they're, it's like people are somehow invisible, or, but they're there all the time. Yeah. And, and as a reporter, you know, I have to challenge myself to go, what am I seeing? Or how do I not know what these people are, what these women are doing? Or I saw like a lemonade stand one day. I'm like, how do I not know what's going on with these girls selling lemonade? <laughs> I need to uh, recalibrate, but I guess it's just, um, and it just reminded me of also exactly what you, you said it much better than I ever will of, of that humanity of, you know, um, uh, sometimes I forget, we forget sometimes that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all the same underneath a lot of the you know we could be uh then i then i scroll down and it's thelonious monk (laughs) and i mean i mean portrait of of they're like a almost royal portraits i'm not trying to be funny like these are really respectable like you're showing the respect are you huge jazz person or i am uh i haven't done much um that's an older piece. That might be t- maybe 2017, depending mm-hmm. on one. Is he playing the piano or is it just his his head? We've got, oh boy, now you got me on the, oh, he's at the piano, cigarette. Yeah. yeah. And then okay. there's a very close-up one of, uh, so, I like the piano one the best, no offense. Yeah. No, you could, I am a huge, you know, jazz person. You know, I'm, I even, I'm a member of the hip-hop generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came up around a lot of older people. So if I had to choose between hip hop and jazz, it would be jazz. And I mostly listen to jazz while I work. So uh, and Thelonious Monk is one of one of the, as someone once told me, one of the books of the Bible relative to jazz. Mm. So, so yeah. Because that's real jazz. Now you got to admit, there's some stuff called jazz that's really bad, Ernest. <laughs> really bad music. When people say jazz, they could be meaning a lot of things this yeah is that, this is this is you know i wouldn't say that 
some of it is bad. I would just say that maybe some of it is mis- mischaracterized. And you know, and a lot of jazz musicians don't like the term jazz. I, that's what I, you know? I, I've heard always. But I mean, Monk was, it, it, we're, I don't even know what the word is for um, yeah. changing yeah, things and making yeah. original. I'm just teasing you. I'm going to send you some bad jazz. Um, wanted to ask you about, uh, you have a Key West connection. You've not only, you know, you, you, you have all these degrees in art and such, and you do a lot of residencies. Um, you were in Key West. What, how did we measure up at the studio? That was great. Well, it's, it is Key West. <laughs> so, so if one is somewhere working, uh, why not have it be on an island in the Caribbean? Not you that. Know, that is still somewhat connected to you know like I still had the amenities of being in the mainland in the states pretty much no but Key West was outstanding it really was um it was for 30 days which is the longest time I've been away at a residency so far and uh the people were great um the weather's outstanding because it it was it was mid-April mid-May so it hadn't hot yet yeah, no, it hadn't gotten really high yet. So, and the studios of Key West have they have everything you need. The bookstore is outstanding, art supply store, get several galleries, a theater. They're amazing. The culture is it was really nice. Did you um we have kind of this amazing art scene that a lot of us take for granted. What did did, did you have time to kind of get out and look at gallery stuff? I know you're working, but I mean, what did you think of art in Key West cuz it ranges from taste yeah. t-shirts to amazing you know uh breakthrough art and beautiful yeah. um there's a variety of styles and techniques and genres i think the most amazing part for me though were the people you know uh the vibe i got a chance to go to bahama village there were some wonderful people My who, who um who really took care of me while i was there you know um so, you know, for me, I'm I'm a person, like, even when I travel, if I'm not on vacation with my wife, if I travel, I like to stay where the common folks stay and be amongst the people. I don't like to be in hotels and I, like, I don't like to do the touristy thing. I want to move, navigate among the people as if I'm from there, you know, so that's how I, you know, really get a feel for the place and the vibe. Uh, and it was easy to do that at Cubas. You know, I mean, if I wanted to party, I could go out and party. You're right there. Well, I'm right there. Uh, kind of always right there in Cubas to yeah. Circle K and you can party there. No, I'm kidding. But um, I'm going to ask you a couple of probably dumb questions. We're we're talking paint still, right? You actually put the paint on the can. These are drawings because they, they're just so, there's so much depth that I'm looking at it going, because I haven't seen them in person. But I mean, can you just go through a prop, just some basic process? Like, are you drawing, painting? I mean, what, because they're just so striking, realistic portraits. Well, what's interesting is up until recently, and by recently, I mean like very recently, I'm not one to do a lot of preliminary sketches. That's just never been in, in a um, part of my practice. I like to dive into the the surface and work everything out in real time. I know a lot of artists do process sketch or do, you know, preliminary sketches, mock-ups. Um, and it, it it works well for them. For me, I prefer to um, make all my mistakes 
right there on the canvas if there are mistakes if they because i don't i'm moving to a point in my work where i don't believe in mistakes mm. right? i and it's not necessarily me even though i've done even though for years i've worked to perfect or to better in, from a skill standpoint to master the material um if that's possible i still like to play my jazz and let go let go of any expectations, even though I may have an idea what I want to do, but release any expectations um, and, and let the peace, the pro- my process is really about letting the peace take me where the any peace wants to take me, where the universe wants to take me because I'm not the creator. Like it's not me, it's through me. You know what I mean? And the, the older I get, the more I recognize that the looser the more free my work is, you know? So even if there's still an exhibition of skill, the energy and spirit of the work um, is becoming a a little less inhibited. I love that. I'm glad I asked the question. I'm not a a painter, but I watch, I look at paintings. So I'm kidding. I took an art class in college, so. But you write. Pretty smart. You do write. I am a writer and I do do understand the, I mean, I'm, I'm coming at this from a spiritual it, it, it's not me it's it's right. coming through I mean it has to be work but it yeah. it might be my filter through me as a filter but I do believe in being inspired by a mm-hmm. power greater absolutely but I had to ask because I'm just like, I'm like is he painting these or right away so you are uh, uh wanted to ask you about um when when was the moment when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an artist. This is what I'm going to do. Is it is it? Were there other things that you felt like you should do for for your job? Or I mean, when when was that moment when you're like, I'm going to be an artist? So I'm not trying to be coy, but I have not made that decision yet. You see like, where I'm sitting, right? Um, and and I, and allow me to briefly to explain. I'm a full-time educator. Mm-hmm. And so I teach full-time. This is my 20th year. I was working toward retirement, but now that's 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 like, it doesn't make sense to me because the retirement isn't going to be enough really to sustain my um, quality of living anyway. Tell me about it. You know, so, so uh, it, two weeks ago, I walked into my principal's office to retire, to resign. Literally. So, I mean, I'm I'm really appreciative that you're asking this question because after this, I could pack my laptop and make the decision. Literally, I am not joking. I am in the midst of making that decision in my life right now. Because when I hear you say, when did, when did you decide you want to become an artist? I understand you're saying, when did you decide you wanted to produce work like on a regular basis? But what I really hear and feel is, when are you going to not work? When are you going to work full time solely at your work? Like when are you going to give your oh, own? Okay. okay, you know that's what I that's what I hear only because of what's going on with me right now. No, I can see, I can, I can totally understand that. I guess I'm more like, well, because it's all about me, Ernest. Just as a young person, just not having confidence and not and going into a field where there's no money, journalism. But at mm-hmm. one moment, and I remember the moment where I was like, I'm going to do this, and we'll yeah. see what happens. And it yes. hasn't been so bad, but I guess I just meant because, or maybe you didn't have that experience of, of, of lacking confidence or, I mean, it's a, you know, everyone 
uh, not everyone hears I'm going to be an art. I am an artist and, and not everyone goes, oh, good for you. you know? Yeah. So, well, you know, as a journalist, we have a similar, there's a similar, I don't want to call it a stigma, but you know, the starving artists that yeah. sort of, you know, um, and I never want to get that cliche. So, but as an educator, though, educators don't make much, but educators, being an educator is a respectable sort of kind of. Yes, very much so. Profession. And I've done it for 20 years and still maintain a, somewhat of a career as an artist. Um, but you cannot get those hours back. You know, you can't. And I'm really ready to be in my studio. So that to really answer your question, I'm in the process of making that decision right now. Oh, I you love know. this answer. And some of my, well, my favorite artists, singers are always the people that are like, oh, I still have a day job. I'm like, what? <laughs> And they're like, oh yeah, I'm not playing around. I mean, you know, it, it's not a bad steady paycheck. Health, is fun. Health insurance, really? Health insurance, because and I'm telling you, I'm going to be really transparent. I love what I do. I've gotten rewards that aren't material, mm. but you and I still we deserve more money. So sorry, right. <laughs> educators, uh, people out there on the front lines, especially educators. I'm not comparing myself to a teacher, but no, I love that answer. Now you have, um, you always have work going on you have a show at the baltimore baltimore museum of art correct what tell us about that so you know and and i explained that i'm in i'm in transition i'm in the process of making that that transition to a full-time artist recently um as recently as june i was awarded um the largest monetary um award regionally to individual artists um, Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. It's called The Baker. Never had any expectations I would win that. Um, but I actually won it, and I kind of won it two years in a row. Congratulations. So, yeah, thank you. So um, it's interesting because um, that winning that award, one of the, other than a monetary gift, you also get to have a show at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Now, the Baltimore Museum of Art is a major, you know, art institution. Um, so that is a tremendous career bump, you know, to to have your work exhibited in 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 the museum, you know, and not maybe within a year, uh, one of my pieces was also acquired by the BMA. Uh, so oh that's you know, so I'm not just saying oh, I'm ready to quit my job. Like things are actually happening for me. No, that's, um. I mean, they're, they're, the museum is obviously has amazing taste and is very smart, but congratulations that your work belongs there. Thank, and you. That is, um, Thank you. And you are, uh, Baltimore, I've always had this affinity or fascination. I've been there several times for different things. And um, I lived in New Orleans for a long time. And for some reason, I compare the two cities. Um, yeah. I think they're very, they're, I mean, but, but, yeah, I mean, it's a compliment, but Baltimore seems to have, not every city has soul and not every city has a very touristy facade, but yet very real people struggling, very real people living life, loving life under unimaginable circumstances sometimes. But Absolutely. Tell, tell me about Baltimore. What was it like growing up? What, what, what are your memories? Like, what are your first memories of Baltimore? Well, one, you can do a very good comparison between Baltimore and New Orleans. You can? Okay. 
Yeah, number one, we have the same species of crab, blue crab. So from a culinary perspective, now we I'm season. Not a fan. I'm not a fan of the crab. <laughs> we season our crabs different. I mean, that's please. I've have you had them. They're they're better up there. You know, I was pleased to find Old Bay in in the supermarket in Key West. So, <laughs> so you know, no, but anyway, no. To answer your question, um, I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, could you re- rephrase? I asked you like ten questions on one in one thing because that's what I do. Just growing up in Baltimore, what yeah. are your first memories? And when you and now, what what is your present experience of? Um, yeah, so yeah, so Baltimore is an interesting place because it is strategically placed just below the Mason Dixon line. So from a historical p- perspective, we were taught. It's very interesting. We were taught sort of kind of in a weird way growing up and i was born in the late 60s so you're talking about early 70s the 70s like elementary school we were under the impression that baltimore was in the north and that it was not a a southern city we're above washington dc but we're still below the mason dixon line We we are a southern city we are the northernmost southern city which is different than being the southernmost northern city and i only bring that up because when you, you have to give a little historical and cultural context. Um, Baltimore, and it's an argument between Baltimore and D.C., which city had the largest population of free Blacks during the antebellum period, right? And I say that because that's important. One, Maryland was the only Catholic colony, and two, Baltimore had a large population of, of um, free Blacks during antebellum because that has a lot to do with the culture of the city moving forward um things like redlining uh started it arguably started in baltimore you know so baltimore has been a very segregated city has a northern facade but its politics are very subtle so it's never been one city very segregated city Mm. um but very blue collar city places um industries like Bethlehem Steel for and I worked at Bethlehem Steel and was a part of the steel workers union in my early 20s oh, you my, my dad was a steel worker and then I later found out my grandfather worked at Bethlehem Steel so Baltimore historically has been a, a support city uh second largest jewish population in the country second to new york uh so it being a port city um, having a harbor, it being in, in on the East Coast, and it being the northernmost southern city, it kind of created this vibe. Baltimore's about grit. It's it's it's, it's about it's, it's it goes far above and beyond the wire. I know it, it gets a bad rap for the wire, but it's a very similar to New Orleans, very creative city. Oh my gosh, it's like a you know what I mean? Because you doesn't take, always get the credit. Doesn't always get credit. It's just beginning now to become known as an artist city, a very creative city. Because we had a we had a German population, Greek population, Polish population. We had some indigenous folk. Uh, we have a growing Latino population. You had your African American population. Within that, you had Haitian, Jamaican. You know what I mean? Um, and of course, we had an an, an Anglo. You know. Uh, a British sort of kind of some, some Irish and growing up I, my mother would take us to 
the Polish festival, the Greek festival, the African American festival. She would the Italian festival. When she would take, we had a little Italy, like this, similar to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. All this amalgamation of cultures. So though we may not live together, there's still some cultural amalgamation going on. So even though we may live in, in different neighborhoods, um, and that has created a city that has a bustling um, um, art artist community. Always had, even though it's unsung, there's always been a very, um, a very. I think I used the word bustling artist community. Amazing. I know I've kept you too long. I have really quick questions because mm -hmm. I, I, I drew you in. It's only 15 it's minutes. Okay. No, it's never 15 with me. <laughs> Do I have to like the Baltimore Ravens? No. Team. No, I grew, up, I, grew up, I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. Okay, good, good, good. I just don't, I know. I don't dislike any team, but for some reason, I think it's the uniforms. I just don't. Well, I'm no longer. <laughs> A Dallas Cowboy. I am a, a and I I'm really well, not who a, is? Right. <laughs> see <laughs> but I'm not I we're not kids anymore no we're not we're not and I uh you know I'm not into professional sports like I used to but you know I I did I, I do watch and study the his the, the career of Lamar Jackson and how oh, that's wow. from a cultural perspective and how that's unfolding so no, you don't have to be a Ravens fan. No, I, I was teasing you, half, half teasing you, and you uh, already brought it up. Um, the Wire, I've seen it like ten times, and I'm in love with the character Omar. And of course, the last season about the reporter, like I was, that was fun to watch because I'm like, I know that guy. Um, anyway, is it when people say, "Oh, I've seen the Wire," does it annoy you, or are there? That, it doesn't annoy me. I'm from West Baltimore. I am literally from there, and the Wire. Arguably debated, you could debate arguably some of the best television ever made, television programming. Having said that, no, because because it was it was written very well and has some tremendous actors and actresses in it. And a lot of that was true. It was true. You know, it was we call it historical fiction, call it what you want. It was reporters writing it, so they kind of writing it. Yes, they, uh, yeah. I just wondered to be from there. I wonder. I just didn't know what it would be like to be kind of like. Well, there's a lot more going on because I mean, it was specifically, it's a crime, you know, drama. Well, the only issue I have is that it just tells one small part of what Baltimore's about. Right. One small part about one small part of Baltimore. Um... You know, so Baltimore gets this bad rap. Um, but it's no different than any major city. It has its ills, um, but it also has a lot of beautiful neighborhoods and beautiful people who um, who live in Baltimore. I mean, I'm a Baltimore City public school teacher as well as adjunct, but I teach in Baltimore City schools, and Baltimore City, city schools has a struggling um, school system, mm -hmm. and when you have a struggling school system, that those issues. Um, extend out into the community, yeah. uh, you know, and so that's a very real, and you saw some of that in the wire, you and know. All, so I, yeah. Yeah. I loved what you said though, and with the, I, when you talked about segregated cities, like it's almost like every, even Key West, like we all live in different Key Wests. I live in a different Key West than you know my snowbird friend, which is fine. And then there are people who live in Key West that I don't know. Like there, there's it. And, and New Orleans, or every place sort of has a community that, you know, it's different if, if you're 
working three jobs or you're living in substandard housing. And, and um, so I just always think about that, like the different worlds, even in a small town and Baltimore has different worlds. And it does very much so. Yeah. And they are all close. Like you could literally go a quarter of a mile, just a, a few blocks. And it's and different. Be in a, experience something different. Yeah. Ernest Shaw, you have been a delight. Thank you for all this time that I've taken from you. Congratulations no. on the Baltimore Museum of Art show and them acquiring your work. And thank you, sir. This is this is a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Right. Charlie Estrillo, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You're in the car, but I can hear you. And uh, where are you going, by the way? Uh, I'm going to go have a date with a friend. And then I have a show later at a rehab show, a comedy show at a rehab center. Oh, that's great. That's great. Do you have special jokes for that? or? No, not necessarily. Um, I know a lot of my friends, they are, I guess, I don't know, a lot of the comedians, a couple of them down here in South Florida are recovering addicts and they just know the rehab community well and they they do shows a lot uh, very often at either rehab centers or detox centers or um, AA like clubs. I love and, that. Uh, I'm, I love that. I, I too am recovering and um, I would I, I never thought about that when people go and speak there for support, but that would be a place I think they could use some laughs. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, they always try to do different events, and they are, for the most part, really good shows because they are just, you know, so it's a distraction. So I think it's, it's I think it's they I tend to be good audience members. Yeah, I would love that, and I would also get to try some or use my darker humor because I know the people, my friends who are sober, are pretty. They're okay with that. Um, but that's great. Sign me up. I want to do it. I want to do it. Um, <laughs> good service there. Um, how long you've been doing comedy for a while, right? Stand up. How'd you get into it? Uh, I've been doing it for four years now, and I was always a, just a fan of stand up comedy. I was watching it Comedy Central when I was growing up, BET Live, like late at night, just watching stand ups on TV. And then I was always a fan of it. And then around I was around 29, and I don't know, I just kind of finally just manned up and decided to do it. I had I had notes in my phone little jokes I thought and then I tried it and I loved it and kind of just stuck with it it is the funnest thing ever to be on stage I gotta tell you I've been doing it for several years like yourself I think only the last year after gosh, five six years I'm not I'm not terrified when before I get on stage like like before it was like as soon as I started laughing but now I just love getting up it's fun there's not a lot of pressure. Did you go through a similar process or was it fun from the get-go? I mean, it's always fun, but were you, were you ever stage fright uh, person? Yeah, I, I still get nervous for sure. And then I'll get nervous if I don't go up enough. Like yes. I try to go up every day and write every day and I just feel rusty if I don't. So then I just feel more nervous about my performance. Um, and I'll, there's moments where I still get stage fright where it's kind of like a big show or a different kind of crowd like a corporate gig or something or a crowd that I might 
they think they I might not like my material, something like that. So I think that's always going to be kind of a thing. And it's good to have nervous because you just tend to do better. You want to do better. I agree. I agree because you know, it shows you care. But it's like the when I get off stage now, well, I still do that thing where I'm like, oh, that one line wasn't. But it's just the funnest thing. And it's such a connection to make people laugh. Like it, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it just feels so, um, so powerful or like so important to me. I don't know. No, I understand. Yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling. It's one of the coolest thing I do easily, you know. Yeah. Now, are you, are you a Florida guy? Are you from Florida? Pretty much. Yeah. I grew up here since I was five. So I consider myself a Florida boy. Yeah, and it's um you're you're up in West Palm, right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Boca Raton. I live in Broward now. Um, but yeah, I've been pretty much lived here my whole life. I dig that area and uh, a lot. I have friends in West Palm, and um, I like being being there. What are what's the comedy? See, I I thought there weren't a lot of clubs until recently. I realized there are a lot of comedy opportunities, stage time, right? Where where do you like to? Where do you play? Yeah, Florida is a great scene, especially South Florida. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like comedy shows going on. Like as far as comedy clubs, there's only really the Improv. The, that's like the A club. Uh, there's one in Miami, Doral, and West Palm Beach. Uh, there's theaters. There's uh, a lot of improv theaters that also do stand-up comedy, and then just a lot of great like little black box theaters and um, you know, breweries, bars, where cava bars, rehab centers, wherever they will allow us to do comedy we look out we there's a lot of people producing shows so you can get up every night down here easily that's so great I mean I'm really spoiled I met you at Comedy Key West and they're really generous with me and they gave me my star I never thought I could do stand-up because I, I just never thought well I'm not gonna be able to come up with jokes like I, I I'm I'm okay with delivery and like kind of being you know but it doesn't really translate that whole being funny in a group at, at a dinner table, you know, but they, they taught me. And what did you think when you were down here? What do you think about Key West? Oh, Comedy Key West is a great club. I love going down there. I think I've, I think I've been there two or three times now and it's a great club. The Tom and Joe who run it are amazing guys. Very funny. Uh, I think they've done some great down there. You know, they have like really good headliners come through almost every weekend and put on great shows and I like it and it's Key West is just you know Key West is alone it's fun you know it's a little nice little island town and uh the fact that they're able to kind of like make a comedy club in that area is amazing it it is amazing it's so much fun and they bring in I gotta be honest I I don't really follow comedians as much like I have my favorites and but I don't like like they'll bring in people and I'll I'll google them and be like oh my god this is really like Joe List that's big and um, uh, the the people that have come down and performed, and um, who are like the people? I mean, who are your go to comedians to watch? Like Miles, mine, Cat Williams, love him. Yeah, Cat's great. Uh, I like. What do I like right now? It always changes, but like I've always liked Bill Burr, Louis C.K., David Tell. It's amazing. Um, I loved Cat Williams growing up too. Uh, you know, Mark Norman now, Joe List is someone I follow around, like, uh, follow online, and does, does great comedy. Um, really a wide range, like Dan Oswald, Anthony Jeselnik, Daniel Tosh, you know, all sorts. Yeah. And I like different, different styles, too, like, um, oh, I can't think of his name, but he did, like, a stand-up on Netflix, and it was just all, like, improv, and I thought it was hilarious. Was it, um, uh, Bo Jack, Jack I'm gonna say it wrong, Jack, uh, the... 
Bo. His name is Bo. <laughs> oh, Bo Burnham. Yeah, of course. That's great. Bo uh, Burnham. Sorry. <laughs> different. Yeah. Just think of that. Yeah, I, can't, I can't think of the, I always oh, forget yeah. the guy's name. But. No, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Charlie, tell me about um, what inspires you. I, I'm someone that a lot of, I've learned that whatever I'm going through, those jokes are really strong, but I make up some stuff because I don't know. I just do. Are you one of those that won't make up anything or is like the, the manatee thing really happened? Did a manatee <laughs> attack you? Uh, the manatee is sort of a true story. I mean, I was swimming and a manatee swam up to me and then it swam away. That's the end of the story. I embellish it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, story. I've noticed the most, most, the best jokes I have are, have, are based on something that true that happened that was true and then i might just i just push it to something extreme or ridiculous to make it funnier you know that's what okay because i was one time i heard this uh great comedian i can't think of his name he was just like i don't make anything up but he has kids and i don't have kids i don't have mm-hmm. kid that gold mine of material do you have kids no no and i thought of that too like when i perform for an older crowd like I just don't have those family jokes really I mean I do and I gotta really go into because I do have a family I just don't have kids you know I have a father dad and, uh, we have material we have parents yeah. parents are good material, parents but are just, great material um, yeah. my thing lately I'm I'm a lot older than you I think I'm 50 I'm gonna guess you're 34 yeah, nailed it. I'm 34 in December. No way. I'm never gonna. And um, when I now it's the generation of the 20s. I'm always that makes me nervous. I'm like I am, and yet they they like me. I just feel like my demographic is mostly straight men between 25 and 60. They love me. Do you have a demographic? Um, I think similar 20s and 30s, but then I do have older people like me too. So I can't really, you know, I can't really like like pigeonholed it to Zach yeah, and no, the, the guys at comedy are like everyone likes you and I'm like but when I see a lot of women in the front I'm like oh no they're gonna think I'm sexist but um which is weird but uh do you, do you ever scope out the crowd and go mm, maybe I'll try this because I'm never r- good at that yes and no um you know I need to have more jokes to be able to kind of designate which jokes would be better but like I have a joke about clout and I know the crowd's older i'm like they don't even know what cloud is so i'm not even gonna try that joke kind of you know so sometimes i do pick and choose and if it's like you know i'm mostly clean also so i don't have to worry about doing a clean set but i do have dirty jokes that i'll you know bust out if if i feel like the crowd loves dirty stuff sometimes you know they all just want to talk about sex sometimes you know yeah i had to get i got stuck in that rut i'll be honest and being cleaner i think it's made me better comedian i don't know i don't need to rely on that in um why do we gravitate towards dating and stuff i don't know i think it's just a big part of life you know everyone's trying to everyone's trying to relationships i think is a big part of everyone's life whether they have it or don't have it i think it takes up a lot of our minds you know so at the end i think it's relatable everyone everyone for the most part is having an in the right relationship or is having bad dating you know so i think it's just relatable it's something we all can talk can understand it's good material. You have the funniest jokes about the way people treat you, and it, it's you had one that just I was doubled over. Like guys come up and kind of punch you a little bit in the in the chest area. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. I've seen. I think I've done that to my family. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm a little chubby, so I got a big belly, and people like to touch it and rub it and stuff, so I, I just, I I probably was getting annoyed by it, and so I just decided to write a joke about it. It's you the know, funniest, like like, you're like, people come up and just ter- sort of treat you like a heavy bag, and I was like, oh my god, it's true, and I just related, and, um, but I don't know, I think, I just thought you were so adorable on stage, like, you were so, I could relate, and I really liked um, uh, the manatee thing, which, which, is a manatee getting a little too close, a little too boundaries, yeah. crossing boundaries. Yeah. And, um, cross the line in my joke, yeah. <laughs> what do you um what do you do in, in West Palm? What what tell me about that area a little bit more about like is it a it's a big party kind of area or is it um retire oh, retirees are everywhere, but what do people I mean, like, what what do people like? Uh well West Palm is you know, like, I mean, it's South Florida, so a lot of people are here to retire, like a lot of older generations. West Palm's a little, you know, old, rich white people, honestly. Uh, Broward and Miami is totally different than West Palm Beach. Uh, there's more people, more more diversity down here. Um, and it's South Florida, you know, it's crazy down here. People party, people are crazy, people, some people are normal. So we got, we got, it's, we have a wide range of, like, we have, like, the hood, but then we also have, like, country redneck. And, like, mm-hmm. and uh you know like and and then just we have north suburbs also but then we have downtown broward and then miami so it's really like it really is because like every everyone from every, all the other states end up in florida so it's like a mosh pot of like just different kind of cultures because i i I'm, i mean i i'm very spoiled but i live in la la land down here in q west and it's there every once in a while. If I do go to real America, mainland America, I kind of check myself a little. I'm like, okay, not everyone's gonna want to make small talk with me because I always think they do. Like, I think everyone, the cashier, they don't, Charlie. No, no, I forget. Yeah, QS is like a small town, and you have that little bit of a small town uh, mentality. So people are nicer and on vacation. Yeah, I don't think it's that much. Yeah, when you go, anytime you go to more urban area, like a like more populated metropolitan, it's gonna be not everyone's gonna be nice, you know. And I'm an over explainer, like with strangers. In I um, uh, I just have a talking issue. I know it's hard to believe. Like I just say I I say things that don't really have to be said. And um, I don't know. Like I I just uh, yeah, I've been spoiled. I lived in New Orleans for a long time. So and people there are really friendly. They're really um. They're like, fuck your boundaries. I'm going to hug you. And I like that. But I don't know. I don't know. Why don't we live in Miami? Should we live in Miami? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's expensive right now. That's for sure. I know a lot of people are saying the rent's like ridiculous right now. Um, it's, it's, it's Spanish. It's very Spanish, which mm-hmm. is uh, good or bad. I guess it, I mean, it depends if you know Spanish. A lot of beautiful women uh, and men, I guess. Uh, I think I think it does have a great comedy scene. I mean, the club is going good. They have a lot of good comedians down there, and and uh, the scene's different. Some people think uh, the the Miami crowd can be a little hard to, you know, get their attention because it's it's always a party in Miami, and the crowd wants it to be a party. So they like they tend to respond more to crowd work. Is a lot of comedians say, but I've also gone down there, gone down there, and just done my set and have had great shows too. So. I think I think you just have to be a, a well-rounded comedian in general, and it doesn't really matter where you go. That's a good point. That's a, I did one thing. I, I just don't like to drive or travel, so I haven't been up there. But I have friend a couple of friends that are like, you should just come up and do 
and do shows but um so i will i will do that but um yeah and uh so you do shows all the time is this your full-time work now no no i have a day job i uh i work at an office right now just doing like sales and um i wish it was i gotta i honestly i always feel like i'm never working hard enough like you said you like part of comedy is you kind of have to travel and get out there and do more shows and book yourself and lose money on the road and everything like that um so i feel like i'm never working hard enough not booking myself enough like to do more road gigs it kind of is my next goal i guess to like just go out and book shows out out in different towns and kind of test your comedy that's the only way you can get better if you do different scenes within uh different audiences you know see how the midwest like my jokes you know like how how's the midwest gonna think about manatees you know, or something like that. I like, I love that. Cause yeah, there's a fellow here and he, he told me like, if we get off a show and everyone's, this crowd is so hot and they love it. He's like, you don't learn anything from these shows. And I'm like, yes, I learned that I like laughter, but I mean, you know, it, <laughs> different crowds would be, um, but yeah, i never feel like I'm writing or I'm always like, what if, what if I could give this 50%? I'll be honest. Like I just, I work so many jobs, but um, do, do you force yourself to write every day? I just want tips. Or do you wait? No, I'm I, I don't, and I should. Um, I should just write it. You know, yeah, you have to write every day, and I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't. Definitely I'm don't. gonna try because it, we'll try together. We'll be accountability buddies. That's I like what, it. Yeah, you just gotta make it a habit, like work it out. Like even when you don't want to, you don't have any motivation or you know to write anything. You don't have an idea. You just gotta write. Even if you're, I heard just like don't even try to write something funny. Just start writing. I mean, at that point, you'd probably be journaling, but at least it's. You get your mind moving. No, that's what my buddy Steve says. He's Steve Crane. He's like, just write out opinions. And I'm like, okay. But um, but uh, I just really appreciate you coming on. You're super busy with them. And and thank you for doing the rehab shows. I think that's great. And I, I feel uh, I think that's uh, amazing. And, and um, break a leg tonight, Charlie Estorillo. Thanks so much, man. listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the Studios of Key West. The Studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.